This is Sam Glynn of Code in Motion, and you're listening to Cyber 321, plain English cyber using three articles, two numbers and one action. It is the 18th of February. And on the first of three articles this week, there is a legislative package known as the Strengthening American Cybersecurity Act, which proposes new requirements for private owners and federal agencies to address cybersecurity. The proposed legislation seeks to ensure critical infrastructure entities such as banks can recover swiftly and continue providing services after breaches. To guarantee that, they want to mandate that owners and operators report substantial cyber attacks to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within 72 hours. But if the business pays a ransom demand, the time limit will drop to 24 hours. So you may ask, how could the requirement to report substantial attacks ensure an organisation can recover swiftly from an attack? What is the link between reporting and recovering? After all, imagine you are trying to respond to a serious attack, contain the infection, get the bad guys out and then recover operations. But now, on top of that, you also need to ensure you report the attack to a government agency within three days or maybe even within one day. How would that ensure you can recover more swiftly? It is because when an organisation knows a government agency will be informed, they also know the agency may follow up with more detailed questions. They may also apply more intense scrutiny on the organisation, start digging around and identify that their security measures were weak or their recovery plans were doomed to fail. This could then lead to financial sanctions, some pretty bad PR and long-term reputational damage. So strangely enough, if things could become public, people try harder. The second article this week discusses how GDPR is driving a trend towards EU-only data hosting. And uh, just for those who don't know, Intercom is a billion-dollar customer communications platform provider with 25,000 paying customers and has been regarded as one of the best, brightest and most valuable private companies in the cloud for the last five years, according to Forbes. I noticed a recent announcement from Intercom that they now offer European data hosting, allowing your most important data to remain entirely in Europe. As mentioned in our announcement, over the last few years, hosting data locally to a region has become a preference for certain businesses with specific needs or within certain industry verticals. Intercom is the most recent vendor to make such an announcement. And this is because there's a recurring uncertainty when information about people in the EU is being stored or processed outside of the EU. The uncertainty arose when the US-EU safe harbour was ruled to be invalid in 2015, and we had it again with the EU-US Privacy Shield in 2020. Uh, The other legal mechanism, standard contractual clauses, also have a problem now with new SECs published in June 2021, requiring uh, legal contracts to be reviewed and updated. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, recent rulings are currently causing a lot of uncertainty about the use of Google Analytics uh, on websites that target people in the EU. And if there's one thing businesses do not like, it is uncertainty. And one way to remove uncertainty is just to keep the data in the EU. And as I can see here with the intercom announcement, cloud providers are responding to this growing market demand. Number three uh, discusses the challenges of moving from centralized control of IT to a decentralized model. This article on protocol.com discusses the challenges when an organization tries to move from a centralized control model for IT 
to a decentralized model that allows teams and users pick their own technology and build their own solutions. As the article says, you can't be the only technology team in the company. But also, you cannot be at the other end of the spectrum where you democratize so anyone could do anything. One business describes their budget strategy as akin to a venture capital firm, where teams with an idea must prove why the investment is worthwhile to receive preliminary funding. And then they must show a return before getting further funding. I spoke about small bets a few years ago, comparing how we find IT partners to how we find our life partners. And you can find that article on Code in Motion. It is titled, Someone Who Makes Me Laugh and Must Love Dogs. But back to this protocol article, there doesn't seem to be a magic bullet. As described in in the article itself, it's complicated. If you don't do it the right way, you may have an insecure platform, you may not be adhering to all the data regulations, or you may not be adequately backing up uh, the data that you need and therefore unable to restore it when you need it. The first of two numbers this week is 68 million US dollars. And that is the cost of SIM swap frauds that were reported to the FBI in 2021. SIM swap fraud involves scammers calling mobile company call centers and posing as you or me to get a new SIM card issued. Once they get the SIM, our calls, texts and other data are diverted to the criminal's device. This then allows the criminal to send forgot password or account recovery requests to our online account providers. If any of these accounts have multi-factor authentication set up, and this multi-factor authentication involves a security code being sent as a text message to our mobile phone number, the criminals will get the security code. This is why the FBI and Microsoft both recommend that we use authenticator apps on our phones, which will generate the required security codes. Uh, Using these apps means the criminal would need to get their hands on our phone before they would gain access to the security codes. The second number this week is 50%, and that is Google reporting that account hacks drop 50% for the 150 million users who were forced by Google to adopt multi-factor authentication in the last quarter of 2021. This isn't quite as stunning a figure as quoted by Microsoft's CISO last week, where he stated a belief that 99.9% of breaches are blocked by MFA, but 50% is still significant. And as Google states in this week's article, Email accounts like Gmail are particularly important to protect. Resetting other passwords often go through email, so a compromised email account can lead to other hacks. The action this week is to identify all of the accounts not using multi-factor authentication. MFA. Yes, I am talking about it again this week. As mentioned earlier, MFA means your username and password is not sufficient to gain access to your account. The bad guys need more than just your username and password. Username and password is a single factor. To make it multi-factor, you need at least one more factor. For example, a security code generated by an app on your phone, a specific device that must be used to gain access, a fingerprint or facial recognition scan, or at worst, a code sent to you as an email message or as a text message. And as I mentioned earlier, that is not a great solution due to the SIM swap fraud, but it's better than nothing. Ideally, it'll be a combination of factors. You need to check that all accounts are protected with multi-factor authentication, especially important accounts like your email, as well as accounts that are accessible from the internet. At work, don't just look at your accounts or those of your business colleagues. 
review the accounts used by IT support teams. After all, their accounts have the keys to the kingdom. And where multi-factor authentication is not available on a particular system, you need to consider the risk that this poses and find ways to mitigate this risk. That's it for this week. Until next week, take care.